Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we have together, Lord, uh, to think about your church, think about the gifts you've given and how they're to be used. And Lord, we pray that we might think on these things um, in a way where we might even change uh, some of our habits. And Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, today, if, as you see on your uh, sheet of paper there, we're on chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this is of communion of saints. Communion of Saints. As I was uh, looking at this, I was thinking about the world we live in, especially as Americans. Uh, we live in a world of attraction, right? Um, when we want people to assemble, we have to attract people, right? When we want people to come together, it's, a, it's all about attraction. In fact, our uh, the way we make some of the most important decisions of our life is based on attraction. Uh, you know, an 18-year-old... You know, it's just weird. Have you noticed that at, at the most... at the worst possible time of your life, you are given choices that can really mess up your life? I mean, we're asking 18-year-olds to decide what they're going to be when they grow up. I mean... And then they, they end up finding someone. They're going to decide if they're going to get married. I mean, they're way too... I mean, this, these are 40 or 50-year-old decisions. At least let your parents make them for you. Or, I don't know. So it's, uh, it's kind of terrifying that this happens. So, um, so how do uh, colleges attract an 18-year-old how do 18-year-olds find someone that they're attracted to, right? And then they end up getting married. Uh, when you go to a new college, you end up looking for a church that seems attractive to you. I mean, have you noticed that almost everything in our society is designed around attraction? Because we know what sells, and attraction sells. So I'm, I'm bringing all that up because I think we, we carry that mentality into our church. Uh, I think it would be interesting if this chapter was not called the communion of the saints, but the attraction of the saints. How are the saints attracted to each other? Um, do we choose a church based on whether it is attractive? What what makes things attractive to us? Have you, you know, and, and people that come to a church and they're looking around like, I just don't fit in here. And what does it mean? I just don't find anyone here attractive. And I don't mean by, that by, you know, people's looks, but I just mean, you know, there are certain personalities that you're attracted to. Um, your people, right? <laughs> oh boy, yes, Bob. <laughs> Yes, it is. It was not, and if you think about it, 
Typically. <laughs> All right, for those of you online, Bob is saying that even in, in the college world, football tends to attract people. Do people go to Clemson because Clemson is such an uh, amazing place for, um, for academics? I mean, it might be but no one knows or cares because they're there for the football, right? Uh, and, you know, and, you know, being in the academic world, I could tell you that football helps uh, in that it, it grows your money uh, pool quite large, and then you can attract, attract professors that have done something with their lives. Okay, so. Um, but that's a good point. If everything is based on attraction in our world, then are we expecting people in our church to be attractive to us? And if they are not attractive to us, we don't know if maybe this is the church for us. I mean, I've, just, I've, I've thought about this a lot because as I'm going over this, this particular chapter, I want you to think about that because this chapter seems to be absolutely disinterested in whether you are attracted to each other. Whether you have found your people or you have found someone with a personality that you can stand or whatever it is, um, that this is not an attraction model that we're looking at in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So thinking about that, let's read the first article here. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another. In love, they have communion in each other's gifts, and graces, and are ob, um, obligated, obliged, if I can put it that way, to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in uh, the inward and outward man. Okay, so the first half of this uh, gigantic sentence is really just talking about who are the saints, right? So who qualifies as someone who has the title saint? It is all those people who are united to Christ, their head, uh, 
uh, by his spirit and by faith, which the spirit gives you, and they have fellowship with him in his graces, fellowship with Christ in his graces. And if you know, uh, if you've read Ephesians, you know that his graces, you know, he is the one who gives us the grace, right? The grace to, um, or the gifts of justification, the gift of sanctification, glory, all those things are found in him. And they're found in him through his sufferings that we share in, his death that we share in, and even his resurrection and glory that we share in. Okay? And this is what makes us a saint, and if we have that, then we don't have to worry about what's attractive about each other. Whether your personality is the kind of personality I like to sit and talk to for a long period of time, or whether or not I think, you know, you are cool enough for me. Um, it comes down to this unity that is found in Christ and being unified to one another in love. So does it say that this love has to be attractional love? How do you view love? Have you thought about this? Let me ask my are single people. Thomas? <laughs> I can hear your heart sinking as I call your name. Thomas, what is love? How would you define it? It's a difficult, if it's, a, it's a difficult word to, to define, isn't it? Let me see some, Anna, we've made eye contact. This obligates you to answer the question. Anna, what is love? <laughs> Have you guys not been using these words in your vocabulary till now? What was that? It is a strange language. Okay, yep, there's some Greek words that help us out in trying to steer around that word. Isn't it true that love is so hard to define that we often just define it by what it does? Right? Uh, love sacrifices for others. Love is patient. Love is kind. It involves choice. Those are all things that love does, right? Um, so what is love? Okay. Yeah, so, well, and what Paul's getting at is whether, even if I give my body to be burned, if I don't have love, then this is just a waste of time. Whatever I do, if I don't have love, 
there's, there's meaninglessness without love. And yeah, and we're supposed to love each other, right? Here it says, if we have Christ, we're supposed to love each other and have communion in our gifts and graces. Let's look at 1 John. First John chapter 4. Probably now is a good time to uh, do a little commercial for Friday night Bible study. Friday night Bible study is this Friday, coming up, and uh, we're going to start First John on our Friday night Bible study. I hope you all come. It's free. There's no cost at the door, so this is something we're going to try. That's new. Okay. So, 1 John 4, looking at verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So that's good. We know where it's from. So if love is from God, does God just kind of give love to everybody, and then they can kind of decide what they're going to do with it? How does this work? Do unbelievers kind of participate in this love from God? Is this part of the common grace? It's a good question. Let's keep reading. So it's from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Okay. So what does that mean? Born of God and knows God. Okay, chosen. By whom? By God. What does this make you? Regenerate. What was that? Regenerate. Regenerate, yes. You're a saint, right? So this, this is telling us that love is not only from God, but those that love are born of God and knows God, which would, if we use our logic skills would say those that are not born of God and do not know God do not love. Is that possible to say? Okay. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay. So to be unified with Christ means you are able to love because you have God. And so then you're able to carry out what love does. You're not imitating love like the unbelievers who can imitate love by being loyal to each other, by sacrificing for each other, and they can, they can live that way. They can imitate love, but it's not love. In order to have love, what do you need? God. And not just Awareness of God, but this union with Christ so that you are in the Son. Okay. Having said that, what excuse do we have in the church as saints to decide not to love those in the church? What if... Everyone in the church is super old and you're super young. 
Doesn't, isn't there a clause here to no longer have to love them and find a church that's more attractive to you? <laughs> Bob agrees. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so it doesn't allow you to do that. What if, what if you just, what if the personality, right, um, of the elders, they're just a little crunchy? Um, you know, maybe they're, one of them just, their teeth are too big for their head. And you're like, ah, I don't know about that guy. He's, I just don't know. He's kind of weird. He, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? What takes someone to where they decide they're going to stay at a church? Typically, it is, let me hang out here long enough to see if this is attractive to me. And what they don't think about is that if they are in Christ, everyone around them ought to be people they love. Not people you decide whether you're going to be attracted to them so that you now invest in them, but rather you love them and have communion with them and share your gifts. Um, have you thought about the fact that your gifts... Um, are for God's glory, and you are to use them uh, in your church as a way of loving those around you. You are obliged, you are obligated to the performance of such duties, public and private so that you can have the mutual good of each other. Um, you know, typically, when you are courting someone or dating someone, you are uh, looking to see if you're compatible and all that stuff, and that's, those are very good things. But when we start dating the church to see if we're compatible, see if we, uh, if we feel attracted enough, that seems to be something that tells us we're not obligated. Does that make sense? So while you're dating, you are not obligated to marry that person. Okay? There's no obligation because you're still, as an American, seeing if you're really going to be attracted to this person for a long period of time. And all the things that actually count, you're not even thinking about that. <laughs> Everyone's just looking at me. Um, so if you've been married for a long period of time, you know what actually matters. And you look back at the things you were worried about when you were dating and you think, wow, I was an idiot. I thought that mattered. And it's by the grace of God that you have someone that had the traits that actually matter. Have you thought about that? I think back on how stupid I was I mean, anyway, the things I thought mattered, right? I was pretty stupid. <laughs> and I just think, why did God give me someone that actually had traits that mattered when I wasn't even thinking about that? Um, but I say all that to say, 
This obligation that we have towards each other to invest in each other um, is, is absolute through everything you read through Scripture, especially as you look um, at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is talking to those, uh, starting in verse 1, he's talking to those uh, who are the saints, who are to be um, worthy, uh, to, to walk in a way that's worthy of their calling, and they're to do this with all humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to, I'll get that, to preserve, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice how what he is saying, this is a mouthful, but he's saying this humility and gentleness and patience and this tolerance for each other is in this love we have for each other and we are to be diligent to preserve this unity through the Spirit. There's a diligence here. A constant work at it, even if they're not attractive in the way you want attraction. I wonder if church, big churches become big churches because you have a big group of people that are wanting to be around another big group of people so they can find their people that they're attracted to. And you have small churches that are small because everyone in a small church just have to love each other whether you're attracted or not you have to just make it happen it's diligence through the spirit which is a lot more biblical we have a lot of american churches i think and i'm not saying every big church uh is bad i'm just saying the bigger the church the more temptation you have to gravitate towards your what attracts you and in that attraction you forget those that you are not attracted to, that you are obligated to love in this bond of peace. And it goes on in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you, you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. My kids, um, all three of them, um, don't find each other people that they would be uh, hanging around if it weren't for the fact that they were related. So 22-year-olds don't tend to want to hang around six- and seven-year-olds and my six- and seven-year-old definitely would never hang around each other if they didn't have to. <laughs> but we're family, right? And so it doesn't matter if they don't feel this wonderful bond of uh, personality with each other. They have to love each other. When we talk about the church, we're talking about a family where we stick together out of love 
through diligence through the Spirit. Look at, uh, look at number, 20, number two um, of our articles here. Saints, by profession... can if they want to maintain holy fellowship but only if they desire to through their personalities now that's interesting that they'd put that in there in the 1600s um no it doesn't say that it says saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of god and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. And so also, in, re in uh, relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities. Let's just stay right there for a minute. Um, we live in a time where we're all searching to see what makes us special, right? Um, and uh, we have movies that we love because in every movie, the person, the main character, finds out what makes them special. And everyone uh, can identify with that because we want to know what makes us special. And typically, especially uh, from Hollywood, when someone finds what makes them special, it's something that actually makes them uniquely and distinctly special in a way that it separates them from everyone else. It is not something that makes them special in that it unifies them with everyone else. In fact, the idea of even being special, especially in our world, is what alienates me from the rest to make me better than everybody else. It is very hard for us as Americans to understand what it means to have a gift that makes you specially designed to love someone else. Those kind of gifts bore us. Right? What we want is a gift that actually pushes us away from other people because we become better than other people. Think about what gifts you really have. I mean, what is it that God has given you that makes you specially designed to help relieve others and help them in their work here at church? Anyone think of uh, gifts you've been given? I can name some. I'll embarrass you. It's going to happen. All right. This is how you want to play it. <laughs> Anna plays the piano. If Anna gets up there and plays the piano in a way that isolates her from everyone else because she thinks she's better than everyone else, it doesn't help us, right? But her piano playing is something that's designed to help her show her love for us because it helps us worship better. We are a group that needs 
a piano. Because if we sang a cappella, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> that would be, we would never have visitors again. So we need something to help us, right? Did you know some of you are good with kids? Do you know how much help we need in the nursery to relieve some of the ladies? That idea of being relieved, that your gift of helping with children and loving children can be used in a very specific way to help us. Now, it doesn't make you special in the American sense, where it isolates you, but it makes you special in a way where you're specially designed to love someone else. You should be using that. We're in great need of people to help with our Sunday schools as well. Some of you have good abilities to teach children. Did you know that in teaching young children, you don't even have to be female? Did you know that? You don't have to be female to teach young people. You could be male and do it. You guys are looking at me like, what is he talking about? Yeah, you could be male and teach seven and eight-year-olds. And it's completely acceptable. It's, the Bible doesn't say anything against it. You can do it. So if you have, young men, ability to teach, you should, you should practice on the little kids. Get really good at it. Maybe practice on the teenagers. Get really good at it. Come up here. Do it here. You don't have to be female to teach young children. All right, good. I just want to keep emphasizing that. Um, also, some of you have gifts in generosity, in giving. Do you know, you know, do you know what a blessing it is to go over the budget when you have people that are generous? Um, God has been good to our little church in really hard times because of people who have been given the gift of generosity. And those kind of gifts don't seem like cool American gifts because cool American gifts make everyone look at you and say you're awesome and special and it isolates you. These gifts are things that are designed to bond you together and to love each other. So let's keep reading. Which communion, as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended unto all those in every place that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus? So this kind of um, goes even beyond our church into how you deal with other people. Have you ever been at an airport where you kind of saw someone talking to someone else and you just kind of thought, I bet they're a Christian? And they're not even talking about Christian stuff. They're just kind of talking, but you just kind of think, I just kind of feel like that person's probably a Christian. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Um... In November, we're going to have a, uh, a conference here where we're going to be trying to invite other churches and other members of other churches to come here and listen to our 
Um, our conference. Our conference is uh, it's a family conference, and it talks about fatherhood. And yes, the whole family is invited to learn about fatherhood because everyone needs to learn about it to help the husband and the father to know what kind of duties he has and what kind of difficulties he goes through. Do you know Christians outside of our church that you could invite to this? Do you know them enough to say, hey, I'd really appreciate if you came to this thing? You should love them enough to want them to come to this. This is one of the most important things, uh, one of the important battles of our time, especially in America, where people have hated masculinity, not because masculinity itself is so terrible, but because they hate fatherhood. Because our God is a father. If you're going to hate God, you really have to go after that. And they have. And they've done it successfully, if I can put it this way, in the church. So who do we know? Who can we, who can we invite to this? Who could we reach out to as brothers in Christ to bring them to this thing because of our love for them? Number three. Oh boy. This communion which the saints have with Christ doth not make them in any wise partakers of the substance of his Godhead. So this is to distinguish the idea that if you are unified with Christ, you actually take on some kind of divinity. Um, the actual, uh, what actually happens is much more mysterious. Right? That God unifies himself with us justifying and sanctifying us um, and loved us not before we were justified or not after we were justified that's not when he began loving us he didn't begin loving us after we were sanctified and cleaned up he loved us while we were yet sinners Now, it's important that we understand that his love is particular to his chosen ones, but I'll tell you this, there was nothing attractive about us. God did not notice something special in you and chose you. In fact, just to make that point really clear, Ephesians is, tells us that Long before he even said, let there be light, he chose you in his son. Knowing that you had to be chosen in his son because there was going to be a fall. And you are going to be disgusting. And in your disgusting state of absolute selfish um, ambition and hate for God, he chose you. I want you to imagine that for a minute because I want you to think about all the reasons that you don't talk to someone in, this, in our congregation or all the reasons you decide not to connect with someone in this congregation or all the reasons that you kind of dislike someone in our congregation. And think about the fact that your God loved you 
when you were much more disgusting than the way people might appear to you. And in this love, he holds on to us for eternity so that no one can take us out of his hands. Um, And so, no, we don't take on divinity so that he can tolerate us. He holds to us and makes us beautiful through his Son. Um, And then it says also, or to be equal with Christ in any respect. Being in union with Christ does not make us equal with him in any way. Either of which to affirm is impious and blasphemous. Nor doth their communion one with another as saints take away or infringe the title and propriety which each man hath in his goods and possessions. In other words, no, you don't get to become communists and just take everyone's stuff because we're, we're supposed to uh, be equal with each other. Um, but that, I'll save that for, for when you, if you want to speak on that. But the point is, is that we are, um, the whole point of this, um, of this chapter is to remind us of the fact that we are to love each other through our gifts. And this isn't an attraction-based idea. This is a love that is done in a diligent way through the Spirit. And to those that even those that you might feel aren't worthy of your investment, those that you might not feel are worthy of what you have to offer in your love, and remembering that you are unified with Christ and you are not worthy of him. So let us, um, I can open up to some questions. This is the first time I've ever been able to give five minutes of question. Um, Yes, questions, yes. Yes, I think there's a, there's a two-part. Um, so, for those of you listening, uh, Zandi is saying that um, how, um, here in number three, it says that uh, we don't take on divinity. But in 1 Peter, what was it again? 2 Peter 1.4. In 2 Peter 1.4, it says that we are partakers of the divine nature. And so there's a two-part uh, response to that that I have seen, and, and you, know, you guys can p- pitch in if, from what you've read. But that partaking idea um, has two parts to it. One is what Zandi said, which is there's the imitation that is demanded of us to imitate God's attributes um, in a creaturely way. Right, So we don't imitate in an identical way, we imitate in a creaturely way. 
The second um, is the idea of partaking doesn't necessarily mean taking on, but being able to commune with, to partake in, um, is the idea of communing together, where we are able to commune together without being destroyed because of Christ, and be able to commune with that uh, divine nature in a way that is a, a unity, a real unity. And so this, this idea of unity um, is difficult for us uh, post-enlightenment. Because in post-enlightenment, we're thinking in terms of mixtures and chemical bonds, right? Maybe you're not. Maybe I was. <laughs> you all look at me like, what are you talking about? So when we're unified, is it a mixture where, you know, there's us and there's God and there's something holding us together? A uh, chemical bond would mean we would become one. Um, a unity where we take on uh, his nature on us. But it's a mixture, but there's something holding us to Christ, right? We cannot hold on to Christ. Christ has to hold on to us, and that union has to be a spirit union. Um, and that spirit union is something that's mysterious to us, uh, that we can't quite understand because we're always trying to picture it in our mind and there is no picture that, that could help us with that. But there is this real spirit union where the spirit is holding Christ and us together in him. Um, and it is a, uh, I don't know, the more I say it, the more I think I sound crazy, but, um, but that's where the difficulty is, uh, trying to understand how that bond works. In what? Um, where, where they're out of place. Oh, becomes the vicar of Christ. Is, yeah. Is it, in your, is it kind of pointing back to that? Um, yeah, the question is, you know, did the Catholic Church believe in a partaking where they took on, where maybe even the Pope is taking on some kind of... Yeah. Yeah, where the saints, too, might be taking on some divine nature of themselves. Um, I think, to be fair, um, I think the Catholics would say, no, that's not what's going on. There was a heresy um, that was going around um, where people believed there was a divine nature that we actually became. Um, but I think the, the Catholic Church were, would, would deny that. Um, the Pope is supposed to be the vicar in representation, um, and only ex cathedra can he speak infallibly, um, which still I don't think it would be taking on the nature of God, but taking on the mouth of God. Um, ex cathedra means from from the chair, um, uh, almost like from the throne. 
But the, the idea is, I, I think they, I see what you're saying, but I think they would, they would deny that that's what's happening. But there was definitely a heresy back then about that. Yeah. Yeah, I almost took that for granted. Um, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, what Will was bringing up was, I'm sorry I'm repeating this, it's for people online, but um, Will brought up the idea that um, this love, if it's not demonstrated in the, in the authority of the church, in the, in the leaders of the church, um, it, is, it is a hypocrisy to expect it out of the body. And so, yeah, there, that is a strong, um, I, I think about that a lot, how the Lord um, has blessed us so much with Andrew and, um, and Chuck, who I have to remind myself I'm older than him because he just seems more mature than me. <laughs> and, I, and I just look up to these men and I just am so um, honored to be around them. That, you know, if you don't have that, if you have competition, and that's the, I think that's one of the big killers, both in leadership in churches and among people in the church, when they start competing with each other. Um, Paul is so disgusted by that, he says, if you want to compete, then compete in seeing who can be more loving than the other person, which really just means stop competing and love each other. But that's, you know, that competition is death. I've seen it in my own family. Um, you know, we have strained Christmases and strained Thanksgivings when my family all come and descend upon my house because my brothers and I have always been competing with each other instead of loving each other. And to this day, I mean, we're, I'm, this year I'm going to be in my 50s this year. And all, all three of us boys are going to be in our 50s. And like children, we're still not getting along because everyone's competing with each other. I just feel competition is poison. Um, if that happens in the leadership or it happens in the, in the body, it's just death to the body. If you want to compete, see how much you can love each other more than the other person. I think that Paul's right. All right. That brings us to the end. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get going with worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the goodness that you have shown us in this place, where we as um, a body have uh, come to love each other, and we pray that that love would grow. We pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us, and that we, we would be diligent in working to love each other to go out of our way, to invest 
no matter what uh, no matter what differences we might find, let us love each other. Lord, help us as leadership in the church to demonstrate our love uh, for each other and for the for the body that they might uh, be inspired by it. And Lord, we we pray that you would uh, bless Andrew as he preaches this morning. Give him uh, your words to speak to us, Lord, and humble our hearts before these words. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.